Well, we're going to get started. We are on our series on the sower, and up to this point, we've seen some pretty awesome statements by Jesus. Um, we found out that the kingdom of God is like a man that went into the world and sowed seed. He sowed seed. And he, he relates the act of sowing seed and, and the reproduction process of seed as how the kingdom of God operates. And I would hope that as believers that we would want the kingdom of God to operate in our life. And so we need to pay attention to what Jesus is teaching here. If right now, if the kingdom of God is not working in your life, if, if what you see in the Bible, what you hear other people experiencing is not working, maybe we need to take a look at how the kingdom works. Right? And we found out that words are like seeds. And seeds produce thoughts. Thoughts determine emotions. Emotions determine decisions. Decisions produce actions. Actions will lead to life or they will lead to death. Let me say that again. Words are like seeds. And seeds, these words, produce thoughts. And these thoughts determine our emotions. And emotions will determine the decisions that we make. And the decisions that we determine to make produce an action. And those actions lead to life or they'll lead to death. So we so, should be sowing good seeds, good words into us. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 2, Jesus says this. He says, Then he taught them many things by parables. And said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell on the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on the stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, It withered away. Verse 7, And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let them hear. Just like in the natural, if you don't sow a seed, you should not expect a harvest. Right? I mean, why is it that natural things we think, well, duh. I mean, if, if you don't plant a garden, if you don't sow a seed in the ground, why should I expect a harvest? If I don't put watermelon seeds in the ground, I don't know, I, I always pick watermelons. But if I don't put watermelon seeds in the ground, why would I expect to go out and harvest watermelons? I mean, that's a no-brainer. But for some reason, as soon as we come into the church, our mind goes upside down, and, and, and we don't use our intellect, and we don't use common sense, and we just think that we can go through life any way that we want and expect the kingdom of God to produce in our life. See, God's grace is the seed, which is what? What is the seed? The Word of God, right? Who is the Word of God? Jesus. 
Jesus was sown into the earth for us, correct? The word of God is living and powerful, right? So when we sow the word of God, which is Jesus, into us, it produces, it produces a harvest. See, the, God's grace is the seed. The seed has everything in it it needs to produce a harvest. Do you understand that? A seed has all the power, everything that the, that the, the whole oak tree needs is in the acorn. Everything that you're ever going to need in life is in Christ Jesus. And we sow the word of God into our life concerning Christ. And everything that we need is being sown into us and it grows up into that oak tree. See, but there is a variable. The variable is the soil that it's being sowed into. That's the variable. It's not the seed's fault. It's not the word of God's fault. It's not Jesus' fault that there's no harvest. He's done everything. He's, he's given you everything. The power to produce the harvest has been given. It's just how it's sowed. It's just how it's sowed, where it's sowed. The seed is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And his grace is the power which produces the seed is not the issue. The soil is the variable. Our heart can stop what God is wanting to do in our lives. I mean, that's the thing about God is that he can do anything. He can force us to do anything. He could make us robots and make us love him. But he has given us free choice. He has given us free will. We can choose to love him or we can choose to deny him. We can choose to have our hearts tender towards him or we can harden our hearts to the things of God. God is wanting to do things in your life and we are, the, we are the, what stops him. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far, far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you know how profound this is? It says that the word of God is so sharp that it can slice through the marrow in the bone. It says, this is New King James, but the joints and the marrow, it's literally talking about your bone marrow and the bone, it, it, it can slice between the two of them. And you, and you know what scientists say about bone marrow? Is that you can't, see, you can't really see where the bone stops and the marrow starts. It's, there's no really good distinction be, between it. And then he says that it's, it divides the soul and the spirit. See, you have a soul and you are a spirit. Your, your, your soul is your mind, will, emotion, your, your conscience, your consciousness. That, that, that's your soul. But there's a, you, you are a spirit being, an everlasting being, and that everlasting being was created in the image of God. And he's saying that the, the word of God can come through like a, like a scalpel and, and divide between what you really believe and who you really are. You, you, can, you can renew your mind, your soul, to believe who you are in Christ Jesus. 
or you can be conformed into the image of this world. That's amazing. And it says that the, the, the word, this isn't a work you have to do. The only work you have to do is read it and believe it. The word produces the, the, the difference. The word produces the change in you. The word has, is powerful, is living and active, is alive. That's that grace I was talking about that's in the word of God. It's actually a living thing. The whole world was created by world, words. God spoke things into existence. In the, the word of God, you can put it in your heart and it will divide between, between what you really think. Have you, ever, have you ever went and heard someone preach or, or taught things in the Bible and showed promises in the Bible and talked about you're the righteousness of God and then all of a sudden it comes up in your mind and you think, well, I don't feel very righteous. I don't feel very holy. I know, that, I know the word of God says, by his stripes I'm healed. I was healed. But look it. See, that's that dividing line. That's dividing line of what, are you going to be of the soul or are you going to be of the spirit? Are you going to renew your mind to the things of the spirit or are you going to walk in the flesh? And deny the spirit. That's what the word of God does in our lives. And we've seen that we've, Jesus is talking about four types of soil. The wayside, the stony ground, the weedy ground, and the good ground. And these really represent four conditions of people's hearts. Last week we looked at the wayside. And again, I strongly recommend that you grab that. Because the only one that Satan can stop is the one that receives the word and does not have understanding. You need to understand the word of God. It's not about being religious. It's not about reading your Bible and, oh, I got my three chapters in today and, or going to church. It's not about those things. It's about understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ, understanding who Jesus was, and then living your life dictating your belief system, dictating the way you operate by that truth. It's huge. Today we're going to look at the number two condition, the, the stony ground. And last week we talked a little bit, we talked about how people wait. They hear about the word of God, they hear about God, and, and so often people wait till their life is in ruins before they run to the church. Because that's people's idea of running, running to God. And God doesn't want you to wait till you have a storm in your life. God doesn't want you to wait for your marriage to be in shambles, shambles to come to to church and find answers, find God, try to rescue the situation. He wanted you to be sowing into your life all the way so that you can avoid the storms of life. And when the storms of life come, you have a foundation that we're going to talk about today. That you're, you're strong in that foundation. See, I believe with all my heart that if you walk the way of Christ... You, you, your marriage will be strong. If you do the, th you will be healthy. 
You'll be prosperous, and you're, and you're sitting here thinking, Chad, I know lots of people that went to church, and their marriages fall apart. I'm not talking about going to church. We're not talking about going to church here. We're talking about sowing the word into our heart. We're talking about being more than just a church goer. We're talking about being a believer. We're talking about being a sower. We're talking about a whole different way of living life. Well, I know so-and-so, they, 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 believed, they believed that uh, they were praying for God to heal them, and, and, and they died. I'm not talking, I'm talking about a lifestyle. A lifestyle. The Word produces the harvest. Jesus produces the harvest in you. And I'm telling you right now that, it, that if you balk... If your emotions, your circumstances, and we're gonna, I'm getting way ahead of myself, or other people's circumstances, other people's results, cause you to change what you believe about the Word of God, you're not rooted and grounded in the Word. You're double-minded. This is, this is huge. So to help us explain the wayside, we, we're going to turn to Farmer's Joe, Farmer Joe again. Uh, Farmer Joe is going to talk about the stony ground today. I said wayside, but we're on the stony ground. He's going to talk about the, the stony ground and give us a little insight, practical knowledge on, on farming here. So here's, here's Farmer Joe. When we sow seed on a glady area or an area that has very shallow soil, it dries out so quickly that the plant cannot mature in a normal time and it ends up dying and that's why we have some indication of that here in the dead tissue here on top of the, the soil that is actually died prematurely and bears no fruit bears no grain what happens when uh, when you have a crop of birds in that glady ground and what have you there's very little fertility to it so you have a stunted plant to begin with a stunted seedling and then for the, from the lack of fertilizer or fertilizer elements, plant growth elements, and the lack of water, we have a stunted plant. If uh, it dries up a little bit, then there's no resistance to those adverse conditions, and it dies in hot weather. As I see it in this field, there are two stages of growth here, and I think you can pick that up on the picture there that what I'm walking through right now is some of the volunteer wheat that was rolled over from the combine and was put back on the ground back in June when they planted it, when they combined it last year. Now just ahead of me, it's not quite as tall, and this was seeded the day before Thanksgiving. So it, there's not as many seed per acre as there would be in that that rolled over the combine. So it's going to be a little bit behind the other in maturity. Now, hopefully, all of this is going to be about waist high at maturity, around 36 inches. Okay, here's another example of how many tillers come from one seed. You can see readily that that is one seed right there, one crown. There's three, four, five, six, seven, eight. A dozen, 12 potential heads off of that one seed. So you multiply 
12 times whatever a head has in it, and you come out with the increase from one seed. That's amazing to think that from one seed you get 12, you call them tillers? You get 12 tillers. I didn't know what they were called, tillers. But uh, it's amazing from one seed it produces that much of a harvest. Jesus is, is saying that the seed of the word of God produces like that. That's why it's talking about 30, 60, and 100 fold. In Mark chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. See, when a seed is planted, the first growth, the first growth goes into the root system. And I don't know if you know this or not, but if you, you took a seed and put it in two inches of dirt... And you put a seed and put it into a pot that had eight inches of dirt. The one that had two inches of dirt would come up first. It would come up first and produce a plant first. But the one that has eight inches of dirt, this, you could get a four-inch plant on the one with two inches of dirt, and the one with eight inches of dirt would never have broken the soil yet. Why? Because something's happening within the, the soil, which is what? Our hearts. It's going down deep into the, into the soil. It's going down deep into the heart of, of a man. And there's a lot of people that come in and, and they get excited about the Word of God. They get excited about the Word of God, but they have no patience and they don't have no depth of the Word of God. They haven't taken the time to sow the Word in their hearts. And when the storms, when persecutions come, when, when, when storms come, they're easily, easily withered up. The word becomes withered. The root system determines the fruitfulness of the harvest. The better root system, the better harvest you're going to have. And Jesus explains this in Mark chapter 4, verse 14. It says, the sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which was sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately rejoice, receive it, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. They receive it with joy. I've seen this happen so many times even in this, little, this church. People that come in and they, just, they are on fire for God and they're, and they're, they're very vocal about things of God. And, and be, because they have no foundation in themselves, as soon as adversity comes, as soon as persecution comes, as soon as affliction comes, they wither away. They turn away from God. They lose their faith. And there's something about coming to, the, to God and being fed and sowed and, and sit there with patience and just maturing in the things of God. And instead of forcing... Instead of forcing God to do something in our lives, it happens naturally 
just like a seed growing up and producing a harvest. There's a huge difference there. There's a trusting. There's a rest that happens in that. These are those that do not allow the word of God to take root in the heart. They have no patience or maturity. The kingdom of God is not about quick results. I know you don't like hearing that. But the kingdom of God is not about quick results. God does miracles. He does miracles. And he can change your, thing, your, your circumstances in an instant. Let me explain it this way. Let's say you're under extreme debt. You're under extreme debt. You, you've got $50,000 in credit card debts. And a millionaire comes by, and by the grace of God and the love of God, he says, you know what? I'm going to pay off all your debts. And you rejoice. You're glad. You're excited about it. But two years later, you're back to the same place. And you say, no, Chad, that'll never happen. Okay, look at statistics with the lottery. Most of the people that win the lottery are living poverty to middle income. And almost every single person 99% of every single person that wins the lottery are broke within a couple years. Why? Because of the heart. Because of the way that they think, the way that they believe, the way that they live. It destroys the person. And and God does miracles. But the thing is, we're we're believers. We're not supposed to be living by miracles. You know, the gifts of the Spirit, they're not for the church. The gift of the Spirit are for non-believers. You're supposed to be operating the gifts of the Spirit. You're not supposed to be looking for someone to operate the gifts of the Spirit over you. We're, we're believers. We walk by faith. We're blessed. We're in Christ Jesus. We have the Word. We sow the Word, and the Word produces in our life. We don't need miracles. We don't need, we don't need someone to lay our hands on us. Can they lay hands on us? Do we lay hands on the sick? Yeah, we lay hands on the sick. And that's just because... <laughs> To help jump start, it's kind of like jumper cables. You need to help jump start your faith. There is an anointing. There is the power. There is the gifts of the spirits. We believe in all of that stuff. But it's not for us. It's for unbelievers. It's, for, it's, for, it's, to, it's to be a witness of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's to witness to who Jesus Christ is. We live from faith to faith. But so many Christians want to live from miracle to miracle. And the thing about a miracle is, is you need a, you need a crisis for a miracle. I'd rather be like Abraham and just be blessed, not have it, need a crisis. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. And he, and he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and he goes to bed at night, at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows. How he himself does not know. The soil produces the crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. 
There is seed, time, and harvest. Seed, time, and harvest. It's a process. It's a process because God wants to do more than just give you a quick result. He wants to change your nature. He wants to change who you are. He just doesn't want you to be blessed. He wants you to be a blessing. You understand that? We are to live by the word, by faith in the word. The gifts of spirit are for... The church is always looking for someone to pray for them instead of looking to pray for somebody else. And this goes back to have understanding. Do we pray for people? Do we, do we lay hands on the sick? Do, do we sow? Do we, what do we believe about the things of God? Mark chapter 4, verse 16, in similar way, these ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves. Notice where the root is. It's in you. It's in your heart. But, but are only temporary. Then when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Why does affliction and per- persecution arise? Persecution arises for the word. You guys are going to have to pay attention here because this is going to answer a lot of your questions. Persecution arises for the word's sake. Just like the seed that was sown on the wayside, it says immediately the word is stolen from them by the wicked one, right? The birds of the air come and eat up the seed, and Jesus explains that's the wicked one. The wicked one steals, steals from those that don't have understanding. Here in the stony ground, affliction and persecution arise to cause you to fall away from the word. It's after one thing. It's after the word. You are weakest right after the word is sown. When you, the word is sown and you have understanding, you are at your weakest before it has time to take root. Before it has time to take root. Before it has time to change your nature. And affliction and persecution will arise for the word's sake. That is a promise. That's a promise. I, don't, I know you don't have that promise up on your refrigerator. But the word of God, when it's sown into your life, when you hear about prosperity, when you hear about you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, when you hear about the authority of the believer, when you hear that, that there is no now, now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, when you hear that by his stripes you were healed, when you hear these things and you start getting understanding, you can expect that persecution and tribulation will rise, not because you're something special, but because of the word. Because of the word. Hebrews 10.32. Instead, think back to the days after you were first enlightened. That's that understanding that we talked about. Enlightened and understood. There it is. Who Jesus was. When you endured all sorts of suffering in the name of the Lord. You are guaranteed to have persecution and afflictions when you start trying to walk in the understanding of the gospel. The purpose of affliction and persecution is stop the word from working in your life. 
Because if the word works in your life, you will produce a harvest. And once you start producing in the kingdom of God, you will become addicted to it. You need to understand that God is not the author of this affliction and persecution. God doesn't send affliction and persecution to you. He's not the author of it. The devil is. Why? Because he's trying to steal the word. Listen to me. Affliction and persecution is not sent by God to make you holy or make your faith stronger or make you a better person. It's not sent to be a teacher. We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit as our teacher. We don't, God doesn't need to use affliction and persecution to teach us anything or to perfect us. You are already perfect. You are perfect in Christ Jesus. Believe it. It's Satan that comes to rob, kill, and destroy. James 1, chapter 1, verse 13 and 17. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God. For God cannot tempt, be tempted with evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Well, I just took away a bunch of sermons that are being preached this Sunday. God is not evil. God does not tempt us. He doesn't put us through tests and trials and tribulations. He can't. He doesn't have it in him. Do you know if God wanted to make you sick, if God wanted to make you poor, if God wanted to do these things, he can't. You want to know why? Because it's not in him. He doesn't have it to give. It's the evil world. It's Satan. It's the kingdom of darkness. It's it's our own perverted minds. What do we mean by perverted minds? Twisted minds. Everything in the world that's opposite of God is from the wicked one. God cannot give what he does not have. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, this sounds just like sowing, doesn't it? When lust has conceived, so, so there, a word has come into your mind. And, then when, and when we're talking about lust, we're not just talking about um, sexual things. We're, ta- we're talking about the lust of life, the lust of the flesh. It could be cookies. I don't know what your lust is. It could be anything like that. It, it, we're enticed. We're tempted. We're pulled away by our own lusts. And carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. It sounds just like the same as sowing the word of God in your life. The kingdom of God is like a seed. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variance or shifting of shadow. Every good thing, every perfect thing comes down from God. God is not the source of your persecution. God is not the source of your affliction. We are. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, 
And to kill and destroy, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Affliction and persecution are not sent by God to teach you something or to make you holy or to perfect your faith. The whole purpose of affliction and persecution is to get you off the word, to bring a stop to the word of God in your life. Persecutions will arise. That's a promise. That's a promise. And here in America, usually persecution doesn't mean that we're going to have to give our life up for, for Jesus. There are countries that they are giving their life up daily. The Coptic Christians over in the Middle East, the Iraqi Christians in the Middle East, the Syrian Christians in the Middle East, the Iranian Christians in the Middle East, the Chinese Christians over in Asia, the African Christians. They literally are being persecuted by the sword or at a barrel of a gun. But here, we, we don't have to put up with that. We just have to put up with what people think about us and what people say about us and our prideful selves. We, we worry about what people think more than what God thinks. And look what Peter says. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 4, see, there's, there's a, the Bible, there's nothing new under the sun. Of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild, destructive things they do, so they slander you. I remember this when I came out of darkness into light. It was a shocker. (laughs) I was the life of the party. And all of a sudden I no longer did And it was a process. I'm not saying that I didn't fall into my own ways. But God was working on me. But my friends didn't want to hang out with me anymore. I didn't have friends anymore. Good thing I had Amanda still. When you start getting on the Word, I'm not talking about going to church. Most Americans, oh, you go to church, that's fine. There's some people that are hard-hearted enough where they might give you some flack about going to church or say it's stupid or do you believe in unicorns too and all that stuff. I know what they say. I'm talking about when you start being a believer. I'm talking about when all of a sudden you're praying for your coworkers that are sick in the cubicle next to you. When you're forgiven those that have wronged you. When you're blessing those that persecute you. When all of a sudden you start being like Christ. That's a, that's a world of difference than just going to church. You want to see persecution. You want to see affliction. You start standing on the word. I mean, there, I, I don't know... There's probably some people that are being persecuted because you come to this church. And I'm not talking about non-believers. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about family members. I'm talking, when you start believing that the Word of God, when you start actually acting like the Word of God is true, Christians will persecute you. They will. Oh, Chad, why would they do that? I don't know. Why did the scribes and Pharisees do it to Jesus. The, the religion people, the religious people are the ones that crucified Christ. God showed up in the flesh and they killed him. 
When you start living the word, when you start walking the word, when you start talking about God hears my prayers, I'm righteous. Ooh, you want to, I'm holy. You get around some Christian people, I'm a saint. I don't need some guy with a pony hat to call me a saint. The Bible calls me a saint. You start talking that way. You want to get some persecution? I'm healed. God answers my prayers. I lay hands on the sick and they recover. I'm prosperous. Well, you don't look very prosperous to me. I don't care what you think. I, the Bible says that I'm a prosperous person. That everything I touch shall prosper. You start talking that way, you're going to get persecution. And if you don't have any root, if you don't have any root system, when that persecution arises, it'll cause you to fade away. It'll cause you to fade away. Here's some strong words that Jesus had about persecution. In Matthew 10, 24 through 25, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Verse 26, therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. Do not fear those that kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are, two, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. That's amazing to think about, that God cares so much that even if two sparrows fall to the ground, he knows about it. But look what he goes on to say. And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. No matter what the world tells you, the tree huggers tell you, you, your children, are more valuable than all the sparrows in the world. He has the very hairs on your head numbered. And some of you, are, it's getting a lot easier to count. He numbers your hairs. That's how much God cares about you. That's how much God cares about you. And when persecution arises, we turn our backs on the one that cares that much about us for people that don't care about us at all. Verse 32, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus gave up everything. He gave up heaven. He came to earth. He went to hell. He was beat. He was, bore our sicknesses. He carried our diseases. He gave everything for you. How could we ever turn our backs on him? 
How could we ever turn our backs on him? Look what he goes on to say. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. When you choose Jesus, when you choose the gospel, when you choose to live by faith and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will bring persecution. When you start standing on the word, not only that I chose Jesus to be my savior, but Jesus is my healer. Jesus is my provider. Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my holiness. When you start standing on those things, the very people of your own household will persecute you. The people that you love the most will persecute you. And Jesus is saying, if you don't, he's saying this, if you don't love me more than those that you love on earth the most, you don't believe, you don't trust in me. We cannot fall back from our faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Again, God's not asking you to do something that he did not first do. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Before we loved him, he loved us and gave himself as a sacrifice for sin. God Jesus chose to love you before you ever loved him. And now he's saying, if you want to accept this great love that I have, he says, you have to love me more than father or mother, or you're not worthy of my love. And he's not saying, there's another translation that says, he that does not hate his father or mother, and that word hate is in comparison. Compared to how much we love Jesus, the love we have for the things of this earth look like hate. And I'm telling you, when you decide, when you determine, when you're rooted and grounded in Christ to a place where you love him more than anything else in the world, everyone else around you benefits. You'll love your father and mother. You'll love your wife better. You'll love your kids better. You'll love your co-workers better when Christ has that first place in your life. And it goes on to say, and he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who, who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. True life comes from losing your life. True life comes with throwing everything out, everything that I care about this world, all everything that I believe, the world systems, what I trust in, what I rely on, and following Jesus. I lose my life, and when I lose my life, I find everlasting life. I find true life. And this cross, this cross could be any hardship that comes our way. Because of our union with Christ. But in context, it's, t- it's specifically talking about being rejected from f- the rejection that comes from family members. So those who would turn away from Christ because of persecution f- from family aren't worthy of Jesus. We must be rooted deep down in our hearts about what we believe about Jesus. 
afflictions will arise. Not only are persecutions, not only will persecutions for the word's sake when you start understanding and, and standing on the word of God, another promise is that afflictions will arise. You get started, you get a revelation of healing, joy, prosperity, the peace of God, and you will face battles. Battles will arise. You start studying healing and all of a sudden you'll be sicker than you've ever been sick before. The flu will come on you. You start putting faith in God to, for, as your provider and sowing sowing and, and, and working the things out of, of prosperity and the things of God. And you know what's going to happen? The car is going to break down. Whatever. It's a promise. It's going to happen. Am I saying, oh, I'm preaching doom and gloom? No. Just because the battle happens, just because the battle comes, doesn't mean you lose. It's coming to stop the word. When, you st- when, when it can stop the word, then it stops you. But if you stand on the word, I mean, you should rejoice when persecutions come. You should rejoice when afflictions come. What, are you crazy, Chad? No, I believe the word. I mean, we, t- we, we say this scripture all the time. God is able to make all things work together for good for those that love him and are called by his name. God's able to use this for good. Well, if we really believe it, every time a, a storm comes up, every time an affliction comes up, we should rejoice because God's going to use this for good. I mean, you probably do have that up on your refrigerator. But we don't believe it. We're not rooted and grounded in it. Because if we were rooted and grounded in it, when afflictions come, because they will come, when you start standing on the word, you will be afflicted. You will be persecuted. But just because the battle comes doesn't mean you lose. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We have already won. You will face afflictions. The wise men in Matthew, here's Jesus explaining this. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The storms came to both homes. The storms came to both homes, but one stood and one fell. And when you take the word of God, the sayings of Jesus, who Jesus is, and do them, apply them to your life, it's like a man that builds his house upon the rock. And when those storms come, not if, when they come, you will stand. You will stand. The bigger the, 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 bigger the trial the bigger the victory. You know, if David, if David would have went out and killed a dwarf, he'd be put in jail. Right? But he didn't. He defeated a giant. 
And they sung songs about him. They sung songs about him. And how did he defeat the giant? Well, he defeated it with a sling and a stone. No, that's just what was used. He showed up to the battlefield, and the whole army of Israel stood there petrified, scared, ready to surrender. And and they had a word from God. They had God's covenant, God's promises. And here was this uncircumcised Philistine. And why does it talk about this uncircumcised Philistine? It's, they say that over and over again because it lets you know that he has no promise. He has no covenant with God. And he mocked not only the children of Israel, but the God of Israel. And when David showed up, he couldn't believe what he was hearing. He couldn't believe that they would allow him to come out day after day and mock God and mock the children of Israel. And what did he do? You see, this was the shepherd boy. This was the boy that had to fight other battles, smaller battles, even though they seem huge to me. He killed the bear. He killed, killed the lion protecting his father's sheep. This is, this is the psalmist that sat out in the wilderness watching the sheep and meditated on the things of God meditated on the covenant of God, sung songs unto God, was sowing the word of God into his heart over and over and over again. He knew the covenant that he had with God. It was rooted and grounded in him. And when he seen this mocking Philistine, he couldn't keep quiet. And what did he do? He told that Philistine who his God was. He told that Philistine what he was going to do to him. I'm going to cut off your head and feed your intestines to the birds of the air. And that's exactly what he did. Because he knew who his God was. He knew who he was because of the word that was sown into him. And great was his victory. See, that Philistine showed up and brought persecution, brought affliction. Why? Because the children of Israel had a word. They had a word from God, and it wanted to stop the word from working in their life. The covenant of God from working in their life to destroy what God was trying to do in the earth through that that people. And that's all he's trying to do with you. Your affliction, your persecution is just the enemy trying to stop the word of God from producing in your life. Mark chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, again, in a similar way, these ones are ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky place, who when they heard the word, immediately received it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction and persecution arises, for the, because of the word, immediately they fall away. Some translation says that they're offended. That word offended literally means to Step back. It means to fall away. To fall away. You're offended at Christ. You're offended at the word of God. You're offended at the, pri- the promises of God. Because we care what men think. We, ca- we care about our own emotions and what, what's happening in our life more than the word of God. The goal of affliction or persecution is to get you to fall away from trusting the word of God. You need to establish your heart in the word of God. 
We need to establish our heart. That's that root system, having that root system. Look what David said when he faced persecution and affliction. In Psalms 57, this is when he was running, running from King Saul. He says, my heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. When he was facing persecution, when he was facing um, tribulation, when he was facing storms, when he was facing, facing death and destruction and, and battles and, and the very king that he gave his allegiance to wanted him dead, he says, my heart is fixed. My heart is fixed, O oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Is your heart fixed this morning? Is your heart fixed on the things of God? When trials and persecutions come up and arise, is your heart fixed? Are you singing praises? Are you singing and giving praise to God in the midst of your storm? Because you know your God is faithful, that my heart is fixed. I am unmovable. I'm sorry that you have a pastor that believes the word of God. And sometimes in life circumstances, I might seem a little hard. But my heart is fixed. God's promises are true. And I will not allow your circumstances to change what I believe about God. I don't think you understand the persecution that comes out on men of God, and just like you, that, that want to stand on the word of God and at the same time feel that the need to be compassionate. And the biblical compassion is so different than the world's compassion. There is a tendency to put my arms around you and say, you know, we just don't know why things happen. Only God knows. God works in mysterious ways. But that's not really loving you guys. Loving you guys is saying the word of God says this. And I know your circumstances don't look, don't line up with what the word of God says. But this is what the word of God says. This is true. Our hearts need to be fixed. Our hearts need to be fixed. This is the truth. And we need to stand on the truth. The word fixed means firmly in position, stationary, not subject to change or variation, consistent Firmly held in mind and fixed notion. Does that describe your heart? Does that describe your heart? One of the keys to pre preparing our hearts is to fix our hearts on what we will and will, will not do before persecution and affliction arises. Do you know what you're going to do? When sickness comes and tries to attack you? Have you played it out in your head already? Do you know the will of God for your life? I've told my wife what I'd do already. 
so she's not going to get and screw with me. Are you prepared? Have you prepared your heart? Have you prepared your heart? In 2008, we lost $20,000 of our income. That's a lot of money. So you know what we did? We stopped giving to the church. No. <laughs> we already, God's our provider. God's our provider. We trusted in God and we kept on giving. And it wasn't smooth sailing, perfect sailing. But in 2008, when the economy shut down, they stopped building, construction stopped, the automotive went bankrupt, and you work off commission, things got a little tight. But because we were sowers, do you want to know what God did? Just before all this happened, just before all this happened, my boss was complaining about health insurance going up all the time. Just without even thinking, I said, you know what? You pay me what you pay for health insurance, and I'll take care of my own health insurance. Who does that? We need, we need that security of our health insurance. We need that. Our heart is fixed on that. And so we went out. I'm being sarcastic. So we went out. He, 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 he miraculously he says, okay, I'll give, you, I'll give you the money that I'm paying for your health insurance. We went, went out. We had, had to have health insurance, so we got a super high deductible health insurance. 2008 happened just shortly after that, the, the, the fall of the economy. And I believe that God gave me the faith and the wisdom to act when that opportunity happened. And because we did that, because God provided that, we made it through losing $20,000 a year. God will take care of you. And I don't say all this so you can feel sorry for me. I'm, I'm blessed. I'm, life is good. Life is really good. I'm just saying this to let you know that when you start standing on the Word of God, when you... When you Act in obedience to what God has said and stand on his promises. Persecution and affliction will arise, and none of us is exempt from it. None of us is exempt from it. But when that persecution, when that affliction arises, will you fall away or will you be steadfast? And it's interesting that when you're steadfast in a situation, when you're steadfast, in the things of God, once you go through a storm, you don't face too many more storms in that area of your life. He'll come through another way and test you in another way. So, the, so what are you going to do? What are you going to do if when persecutions and afflictions arise? Have you already steadfast your heart and what you believe about God and his promises. What, what are you going to do? Because this is a way that we can fix our heart. Far too often, Christians do not have deep roots in the word of God, and they're not strong enough, and therefore fall away when persecution and affliction arises. Jesus says that our hearts are like four types of soil. 
We looked at the wayside. That's an individual that does not have understanding. Today we looked at the stony ground. And that's about being rooted and grounded in the word. We're going to continue on the weedy ground and the good ground. Well, my prayer for you guys is that you would be rooted and grounded in the word of God. That you would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. And that like David, you could say, my heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and praise your name. We can stand back and just watch the seed produce. And when the seed produces, it brings the victory. It brings the victory. Amen? Well, I hope, church, that you're, you're understanding what Jesus was talking about in these parables. These parables that, this, that your heart, your condition, your heart condition and what you do with what God has promised, what God has said, that God is not a man and he, that he cannot lie. God is not a man that he should lie. And when persecutions and tribulations arise for the word's sake, you can look at those persecutions and tribulations that are happening in the natural, and you can say, I have a greater truth. My God has said this, and he does not lie. This situation is a lie. This situation will not last. This situation is not the truth. The truth is who I am in Christ Jesus. The truth is who I am in God. The truth is, is I got a father that loves me. The truth is, is that I'm more than a conqueror. The truth is that I am in Christ Jesus, that I'm perfect, and I have no need of anything. It's in you. God is wanting to do exceedingly abundantly above we could ever ask or think according to the power that works in us. And like we looked at last week, God is looking. His eyes are going through the whole world looking for a man or a woman that's heart is totally his so that he can show himself strong in their life. Will you be that man? Will you be that woman? I think you will. Let's pray. Father, we just love you. We thank you that you're a good God. We thank you that the grace of the word of God is ours and that it is the power that brings results in our life. We thank you that the, the, the plans of the enemy have been unmasked, that when trials and tribulation comes because of the word's sake, we can laugh in the face of a storm because we have Jesus in our boat. And he has commanded us to go to the other side. The son of the living God, God himself has commanded us to go to the other side and we will go. We have the promises of God and in Christ Jesus they find their yes and they have their amen. So we laugh at persecution. We laugh at trials. Because all that means is that there is a victory and we will be steadfast and we will not waver. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your great love for us and we rest in Christ. We're blessed. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.